If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. I'm Alex Rorty, a national political correspondent covering Democrats for McClatchy. And I'm Andrea Dresch, reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram covering politics in D.C. This week, we're taking a look at all the news swirling around President Donald Trump. And there is a lot of news swirling around President Donald Trump. And if it's really making an impact on voters. Andrea, who's going to help us break this down? Our very own Anita Kumar, who covers the White House for McClatchy, is joining us in studio today to talk about all things Washington. You ready? Let's do it. January 20th. The day the people became the rulers of this nation again. And our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we fight. He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing, and he just earned a mandate. It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight. The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough. So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never be ignored again. So welcome to the show, Anita. Thanks. I'm so glad to be back. It's been a long time. Has been a long time. Too long, I would say. Too long. There's been a million scandals in D.C. since then. So we're going to do something a little bit different this week because there is just so much chaos surrounding not just the White House, but Washington right now. You know, it's an exhaustive checklist to run through. But just a few of the highlights of the things that have happened in the last few weeks to President Donald Trump. You, of course, have Jim Comey coming out with his book, Calling the President Morally Unfit. You have federal officials raiding Trump's personal lawyer at his home and office. You have an expectation around Washington that Trump is actually going to fire Rod Rosenstein, who's overseeing the Mueller investigation. I'm not even going to mention Stormy Daniels or a possible trade war with China or even the airstrikes in Syria this past weekend. And to top it all off, you have Speaker of the House Paul Ryan very suddenly announcing his own retirement. I have accomplished much of what I came here to do, and my kids aren't getting any younger. And if I stay, they're only going to know me as a weekend dad, and that's just something I consciously can't do. And that's really it right there. That's an awful lot of things to happen at once. Anita, I think the question most people have right now is, is this different than what we've seen from the White House before? Is this a new level of chaos? Well, I would say that the sheer magnitude, the number of things you just listed, is not unusual. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty much 10 things a day. But yes, I would say it really does feel different for the last week or so. But not for all the things you just mentioned, or not for most of the things you mentioned. There was one really significant thing that happened last week out of all those, and that was the raid on the president's personal attorney. So you mentioned his offices, his home were raided, and that's a really, really significant significant legal development for the president. He could be in serious trouble. And the clearly the White House and people close to the White House are worried about that. Just to give you an idea, for the last 15 months, some of these people that I've talked to that worked on the campaign, very close to the White House, support the White House. Every scandal that's come up, I've asked them, you know, how are you? Are you worried? And every single time they say no. In the last week, when I asked them about the Cohen raids, I said, are you worried? One of them told me that they have deep concerns or grave concerns, which was just startling. Another person told me that he's in deep 
crap. You know, he didn't say crap, but something like that. We something get it. worse. We get it. So, I mean, it really reiterates how concerned supporters are, people that are really close to this White House. Is that what you sense when you talk to people close to the White House that, you know, I think it's fair to say, I mean, the Comey interview with George Stephanopoulos in his book is receiving an enormous amount of attention right now, but it sounds like they're not nearly as worried about that as they are the raid on, on Michael Yeah, Comey. I would say across the country, the, the Comey book and the Comey interview just sucked up so much oxygen in the last few days. I mean, it was a really big deal. But I don't know that it really changed anything. If you supported President Trump and you think James Comey is a liar, you still think that. If you support James Comey and you think he's a man of integrity, you probably still think that. He had a lot of interesting, salacious details. I guess we won't get into the prostitutes and the golden showers. Can I say that on the air? You can say that. Okay. It's a podcast. Um, But I don't think it really changed it. I mean, it was interesting. The book's probably a good read. You know, he had this great interview, and now that he's going to go around the country and do other interviews. But I don't think it changed anything. The White House actually was pretty relieved about it. They didn't know what was going to be in the book exactly. They were relieved? They were relieved because a big thing in the book, James Comey says he can't say whether the president obstructed justice or not, that he's not here to say that. So if he doesn't really say that, you know, that was the big thing they were worried about, that there would be new details, new things showing that he obstructed justice, and, and it wasn't there. So they were actually kind of relieved. Someone called, someone I talked to said it was just a rehash. So, um, you know, the details are out there, and they aren't flattering. But They are not flattering. <laughs> they are not flattering. But they were kind of okay with it, it, it all things considered. It's, it's interesting, because I, I, I was trying to think of another time where you had a recently departed FBI director criticizing the president in those terms. I don't. I think safe to say we've never had this in, in American history. Probably we've never had it, but we haven't had anything we've had in the last 15 months in American history. It feels awfully chaotic here. Is any of this uh, any indication that this is knocking Trump's numbers across the country outside of the bubble? I mean, his numbers seem about the same or even up. His numbers are actually improving. And this is something we should talk about. If you look at like the Washington Post, ABC News poll had his approval rating among at 40 percent among all adults. That's not a good number at any stretch of the presidency, much less relatively early in someone's presidency. But it is up a couple of points from previous polls. And you see this in, in a lot of surveys right now. His numbers are ticking up. Yeah. I mean, let's remember, he never had really high numbers. So they're about the same or a little bit higher. And they've they've never been that great across the board. The thing is, for 15 months now, the Trump base people out there that supported him, that maybe went to the polls for the first time or Republicans who wanted something different, they have not swayed really from him all that much. So all these different scandals that have happened, nothing has really, really changed that for them. Now, the Cohen raid could change it depending on what happens. But as someone said to me that I talked to earlier today, someone really close to the White House, they said in Trump country, they just don't know. They don't know who Cohen is. Right. My own theory on this is his numbers really took a dip when he was closely associated with legislation on Capitol Hill. The health care bill, you saw his numbers dip then. And the tax law particularly was being debated. It was really unpopular. It's more popular now. But that's when you saw him hit a low point in his popularity. And, and I think for as much you know tumult and chaos and drama that we see in the White House, not being associated with legislation that really directly affects people's lives is always you know going to be a better place for him in particular. 
So I spent the last few weeks talking to Trump supporters, you know, the diehard supporters that were with him from day one, the day that he went down the escalator in Trump Tower when he announced he was running for president. And all they want him to do is just do what he said he would do. So now the tax law, they're happy with it now that the debate is over. But they want him to build the wall. They want him to get out of Afghanistan. They want him to create jobs and get the economy moving again. If he does those things, they don't care about the others. I mean, the, the context for a lot of this is the economy is growing. You know, it might not be as growing as fast as some Republicans had hoped in the wake of the tax law. But I, I think there's something that even if the, the, the popularity of the tax law is mixed at, at best, but since this passage, I do think people are more willing to give Trump credit for the economy because, I mean, remember, through most of the first year of his presidency, majorities of people were still saying that this was President Obama's doing, that he had helped put the country on the right track economically. That has shifted, and you've seen that in polls, and people are willing to give him credit. And and ultimately, the drama in the White House is something that we pay a lot of attention to, but you know it doesn't necessarily always filter out. And even something like Stormy Daniels, is that really new information for voters when right, it comes to Donald right. Trump? Right. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said the other day that Donald Trump will be judged on two things and two things only, the economy and national security. And he's going to continue focusing and fighting for the American people. And they're feeling pretty good about it. You just mentioned the economy and national security. It's funny, we have barely even talked about it, but the United States did just strike Syria the other day, a few days ago. She feels like he's going to be graded really well on both of those things, that he showed decisive action, you know, went after the Syrian president, and then the economy is is doing better. I also think, I mean, there are particularly a lot of his core supporters, um, a lot of the white working class. When he starts talking about tariffs and starts actually leveling tariffs, I think that's a popular move. It's not a popular move on Wall Street, but I think for a lot of his supporters, a lot of his core constituents, that is something that's the entire reason that they put him in office in the first place. And so for as much, I think, criticism as there has been in the media about this, I think for voters, it might be a winner. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not popular on Capitol Hill, but his supporters actually kind of like that. So what? He's fighting with the establishment Republicans. That's fine. So I I do think it would be a mistake if we said that everything that's happening around the White House, swirling around the White House right now, doesn't have a political effect that people aren't paying attention. You know, my feeling is it's not going to matter until it does. You know, and you saw some evidence even something like in in Watergate, which was swirling around the White House for a long time before it really started to affect public opinion. But when something major happens it can make a big difference in how people perceive the president. And I think the thing that people are really bracing for right now is whether or not he would fire Rod Rosenstein, uh, who's overseeing the Mueller investigation. And, and Anita, I, I think the question is, I mean, what happens if, if he does this? Which reportedly even Rod Rosenstein himself expects to happen. Right. He does expect it to happen. You know, it's anyone's guess, really. I mean, there's a couple things you have to think about. Will the investigation live on past someone getting fired. And I think that everybody I've talked to has said yes, because Robert Mueller has already gotten a ton of information. You know, he's been working on this for over a year now. He's already compiled a ton of evidence. And so that's going to continue on. There's also sort of an offshoot of the investigation now in New York. So those prosecutors already have information. And then, of course, it's what Congress does. I don't think Republicans on Capitol Hill are going to be happy at all that that he anyone was fired. And that might be the moment that they fight back. Unclear, though. I mean, we've actually seen some movement on that on, on Capitol Hill. 
Tom Tillis, the Republican senator from North Carolina, actually now pushing forward his his legislation, you know, barring the president from firing Bob Mueller, which is something that Democrats and a lot of liberal critics of the president and, and of Republicans in Congress have been pushing for a very long time at this point. And it hasn't really gotten anywhere. I think it's pretty notable that it's moving now. Yeah, I agree, except I don't think you see the leaders really pushing it. I think Paul Ryan said the other day, oh, it's just not going to happen. You know, the president has said, the White House has said, he's not going to do it. And that's sort of where we are. I mean, if you're at the White House, it's one day it feels like he's about to fire someone. And the next day it feels like, why did we ever think that? It's not going to happen. I will say it was really notable last week that Sarah Sanders, during one of her briefings, the entire briefing was about is someone getting fired? And every question she referred to outside lawyers for, which is pretty normal, but there was one question she didn't do that for. And that was the question on whether the president has the authority, can fire someone or can fire Robert Mueller. And she said yes. She said yes on purpose. I mean, it was the one question she answered that must have been sending a signal. So here's Sarah Sanders talking about the president's authority over Bob Mueller. Does president believe he has the power to fire special counsel Robert Mueller? Does he believe that's within his power? Uh, certainly believes he has the power to do so. Reportedly, of course, Trump has tried to fire Bob Mueller twice. Right. <laughs> oh, or he already. wanted to anyway, or someone talked him down. Well, and to the extent that none of this really seems to be making it out of the bubble yet, Alex, you cover the left. What are Democrats going to do to change that? Well, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating. I was talking to some officials at MoveOn.org, who are, of course, this kind of longtime liberal advocacy group. And they had mentioned to me, oh, we've actually been preparing for Trump to fire Mueller for a year. They've gotten people to sign up for a protest ahead of time. This is very unusual. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to prepare for something that might happen. Usually protests happen spontaneously after uh, something has happened or at least in anticipation of, of trying to prevent something from happening like legislation passing in the House or Senate. This is, is kind of an, an unprecedented event. They actually have 300,000 people who have already committed to, to protest the next day if, if Trump does this. And they say point blank that if Rod is fired, that th- that is the same thing as if he fired Bob Mueller. There's no gray area there. This would also trigger these protests. And it's a fascinating thing to me because I think the story of the Democratic Party in the age of Trump is that its leaders follow the have followed the lead of its activists. You saw in the wake of the Women's March that there was this kind of strong opposition to, to President Trump. Suddenly Chuck Schumer wasn't talking about striking deals with the president. And you've seen in the wake of, of the uh, Parkland shooting and a lot of the protests and activism surrounded by that, the Democratic Party's posture, even among a lot of lawmakers in, in red-leaning areas has gotten a lot more aggressive on guns. I mean, banning assault weapons is practically mainstream in the Democratic Party right now in a way that hasn't been. And I just wonder, or I'm, I feel that if you do have these protests, suddenly the Democratic Party is going to be talking about things like possibly even impeachment. I don't see, I don't really think there's any way that they could avoid that talk. And believe me, its leaders and its strategists really do want to avoid that talk so far. But Rod, you know, his firing could could change the calculus there. So this is your public service announcement. There could be a march in your hometown. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Get ready for massive traffic delays is, is what you're saying. So it's kind of remarkable for everything that's happening in the White House. That's not the only place in Washington uh, that's had a tumultuous week. Capitol Hill was stunned last week when Paul Ryan announced his retirement. There had been some reporting, uh, including by a friend of the show, Tim Alberta, that this was coming. But for him to announce it before the 
election, I think, was was stunning to a lot of people. And it really, I think, puts House Republicans in a difficult position, already facing a very difficult political environment, already clinging to their majority. And now they're, as as one Democratic strategist put it, their field marshal has, has left the battlefield. From a morale perspective, if nothing else, it's really damaging to the, the GOP. Andrea, I mean, it's, it's we're, we're seeing this sea change right now, I feel like, or maybe not. I mean, you, you tell me some Republicans talking about how the Senate might be the main battleground in the 2018 midterm elections right now. That's how pessimistic things have gotten for House Republicans. Oh, that sounds like a good fundraising tactic to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely part of it, right? I mean, no no kidding that there are some top Mitch McConnell political lieutenants who have been putting this out there. But it does, I, I think, in some, some ways reflect some of the pessimism of, of how House Republicans holding their majority this year. Right. Well, and on the Senate side, we're looking at states where, where Trump is still really popular. So the threat of, of real action on the Senate map just seems hard to believe, right? Right. You know, you might have doubt that you can hold some Orange County seats that uh, people like Mimi Walters or the old Ed Roy seat, you know, that they, these areas might be trending away from the Democratic or trending away from the Republican Party. But West Virginia is in <laughs> West Virginia. And that's just a, a, a better a better battleground mm-hmm. uh, for the for the GOP right now. So the worrying thing, if you're a Republican is, yes, it's it's tough that your leader is leaving, but you know, he is just one of many House Republicans, almost 50, in fact, who have decided that they're not going to seek re-election. And a lot of these come are coming in battleground districts, too. Someone like Ed Royce really opens that up for Democrats. If you have an open seat, it really helps the opposition party, especially in a year like this, where Republicans are counting on some of their individual members and the brands of their individual members to withstand this, this anti-Trump wave. So obviously there is a lot of concern among Republicans about the midterm elections. That's that's nothing new. I think it's fair to say, in light of everything that's happened, that those concerns are a little heightened, a little more acute right now. And I think, Anita, the natural question becomes, what do Republicans do? What does Donald Trump and this White House do to, to get out of this? Right. I think the first thing the president does is doesn't fire anyone. (laughs) Well, maybe he can fire some cabinet secretaries who've been having their own scandals, but he doesn't fire Bob Mueller and keeps this investigation going. I'd say that was the first thing. The second thing is so easy if you talk to his supporters, which is just do what you said you would do. I mean, I know that sounds so basic, but that's all they want is do the things you said you would do in the campaign, build the wall, do all those other things. Tariffs. Yeah, right. I mean, the fundraising numbers just came out. So his campaign just announced what they had raised in the first three months of the year. And I thought it was really interesting that nearly all of them, I think it was 97% or something, came from small donors. These are the people in America, in Trump country, who supported him. They don't have a lot of money to give. They're given a little amount, but they still support him. You know, and he, he raised a decent amount. I mean, at, at this point, that might be all that he has left, right, Andrea, is to try to keep his base together with the Senate battleground the way it is in, in 2018. You know, that means they could still win in places like North Dakota and West Virginia, and they can maybe still hold on to enough House seats to keep a majority the way that those lines, the, the House districts are, are drawn. You know, that map also leans pretty far to the right. It's not a great place to be in where you're just kind of giving up the political middle, but that might be where, you know, the Trump and the GOP is right now. 
Right. Well, and but did Trump helping Trump doesn't necessarily help his problems on Capitol Hill. Those guys hate a lot of those things. That's that's true. I mean, if, if <laughs> you could have an interparty conflict if you start to trade war with China, for for instance. Absolutely. Well, and Anita, you've spoken in the past few weeks to to dozens of Trump supporters. What is it that they want him to do? Over and over, I kept hearing from people. So these are people both in swing states and states where he won. There wasn't much of a race. We knew that he was going to win. All these people told me over and over that they just wanted him to do what he said on all these policy issues, and they didn't care about the rest. But, you know, it was really more than that. I was talking to someone just today who worked on the campaign, is still super close to people in the White House, who said, it's not about Donald Trump the man. You know, we didn't really support the man. We supported the movement behind him, the movement to throw out the rule book and drain the swamp, get rid of Washington as usual. You can argue whether he really did that or not, but that's what they want to see. They just want to see him, you know, getting out there, talking tough and saying he'll stand up to whoever won't let him do what he needs to do. Our colleague Katie Glick touched on this last week in a story. She talked to some evangelical leaders who said, you know, even in the midst of a Stormy Daniels scandal. No, we still love Trump. The problem is Congress. Yeah, it's so interesting. This guy I was talking to today said, we knew who we got. We knew that he'd been divorced and, you know, maybe cheated on his wife or or had some of these issues with women, but don't care about that. We supported the movement. We supported what was behind him, what, what he said he would do. So let's move on to our favorite part of the show, the lightning round. Anita? As our honored guest, you're up first. Thanks. I am going to go with Joe Biden. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's old news. But he just said on Sunday on MSNBC that he was considering running for president and he was going to decide by the end of the year. And uh, I I don't. And by the way, these polls are showing me winning and all this stuff. You you and I both know they don't mean a thing until you're in the green. But it's just like what we were talking about before. Does he represent the Democratic Party of today? I'm not sure he does. I think that would be the main objective of any campaign that he would run to try to convince those Democrats that he represents the Democratic Party and the liberal movement of today. But, boy, going to be tough. Boy, on uh, abortion, on crime, gay rights, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure he's where they are. Andrea? Uh, we got news during the recording of the show that Pennsylvania Republican Charlie Dent will resign in the coming weeks. Uh, had already announced that he was going to retire at the end of the year, but joins that long list of Republicans who uh, he's the co-chair of the moderate Tuesday group, the centrist Republicans on the Hill who will not be returning to decided this political climate is not for them. He would have been uh, unbeatable in his Pennsylvania district, but we'll set off an interesting race. He is, in fact, um, I, I talked with a Democratic operative some point last year, and he said, yeah, I think Charlie Dent, he's, he's just like every, he's every Democrat's favorite Republican congressman. Uh, to give you a sense of why he would be next to impossible to defeat in a general election. So mine is Joe Crowley. Uh, you know, there is going to be a lot of speculation and, and behind the scenes movement on the Republican, on the House Republican side now that Paul Ryan is retiring and there is the battle to replace him. But we can't forget that there is a similar contest uh, happening behind the scenes as well on the Democratic side uh, with continued questions about not just Nancy Pelosi's leadership, but Steny Hoyer's leadership, a feeling that there needs to be a new generation of leaders in the House Democratic Caucus. That's what you hear some of their candidates saying. And Joe Crowley is, is very clearly, I think, trying to position himself for that right now. And for as much as the attention will be on the campaign trail, 
for Democrats this November. The, as soon as those races conclude, we're, attention's going to shift back to Capitol Hill and see if someone like Joe Crowley or possibly another challenger can finally unseat Nancy Pelosi as Democratic leader. Anita, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Andrea, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Alex. Thank you to producer Jordan Marie Smith. And thank you, our listeners. We want to hear from you. So please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyondthebubblepod. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground states. We might even ask you to call into the show. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. We want to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review or a rating. Talk to you next week. <laughs>